Well, this morning's going to be a little different uh, of a Palm Sunday. If you're used to kind of a traditional Palm Sunday, uh, it is not. What it is for us as a community is really gearing up um, for Easter. And so in some ways, I, I think of this as like, for us as a community, uh, a little bit of a huddle. Going, okay, before the big game, before the play, we're gathering together and saying, hey, let's huddle up and, and really talk about what matters most for us as a community. And to set this up, if you get your notes, go ahead and open them up. I want to start uh, uh, with taking a personal survey, if you will. Uh, just a personal assessment. Uh, this isn't something you're going to turn in, so don't worry about it. There aren't right or wrong answers. Um, it's just for you. So don't look at your neighbor's notes. All you have to do is fill in a T or an F. If you're concerned about what others think, you can, you know, create your own code and do that. But the personal survey here. Uh, in your notes, number one says this. First, I periodically experience waves of compassion and empathy for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, number one, true or false, where you're at, just kind of where you're at in life, and you're going like, well, I don't know Jesus. Well, then that would be a false, right? You don't, that's okay. I periodically experience waves of compassion and empathy for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, number two, true or false, I have two to three deep friendships with those who are not uh, followers of Jesus. You hang out, you, you, you have dinner together, you do activities together, you consider them deep, close friends. And number three is kind of, there's a list under there. In the last month, over the last month, I have had two or more non-church people into my home. I've invited someone to church, or true or false, I've shared my story or the gospel with someone. Just a personal assessment survey where you're at. And we're just going to kind of put that on the side for now, and, and we're going to dive in uh, where we're headed this morning. Uh, and over the last few weeks, we've had uh, quite a bit of change, quite a bit of transition. And what happens with transition and what happens with change is it leaves us with a sense of feeling uncertain. Uh, just this sense of uncertainty. And, and there's this reality that uncertainty has this powerful effect in our lives. That when we live with uncertainty, it often paralyzes us. And it keeps us from moving forward. Uh, because we're uncertain, we're not sure what the next step to take is. And, and here's what's interesting. When, when we have uncertainty, when we have change, when we experience transitions, whether it's personally, or that's okay. I'll, I'll drink the water later too. Uh, or, or as a community, what we need in the midst of uncertainty is clarity. So you can experience uncertain circumstances, yet at the same time have clarity of how to move forward in the face of uncertainty. In fact, here it is, is when life is uncertain, we need clarity to move forward and take the next step. And I think for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's one critical question that really brings a massive amount of clarity. That brings a massive amount of, here's what it looks like to take the next step, both for us as a community and individually. And the question is simply this, what does God really care about? 
What does God really care about? What is on his heart? For those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, followers, believers in God, then the most fundamental question we should be asking is, God, what do you really care about? What's on your heart? Because when we answer that question, it provides us with an immense amount of clarity for us as what we should care about and what should, we should take the next step. The question then, what does God really care about? And kind of the little more personal question that I've been asking, do I really care? Do I really care about what God cares about? Uh, to answer this question, we're going to dive right into the text this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, Jesus is in the middle of a lot of intense, busy, full days. In fact, verse 35 gives us this big summary picture of what Jesus' ministry is like. If you want to know what Jesus is up to in a daily routine and know what he's doing, verse 35 gives us this summary statement uh, of a typical day for Jesus. It says this, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is just what Jesus is up to. He's got three years, and we're coming down. This is Palm Sunday today. So Palm Sunday is the week before he uh, is crucified, the Sunday where he has this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he's coming as the conquering king, and people are welcoming him and celebrating him, and yet in five days they will crucify him. But prior up to that, that Palm Sunday, he spent three years doing this. For three years, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was traveling, itinerant preacher, going around to every single town, and he, was, he had a specific message. His message was this, teaching in the synagogues, uh, which is basically what we're doing here in that kind of big setting, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We're going to unpack this idea of good news uh, in a series after Easter a little bit more. Uh, just circle that word. It's, uh, in the Greek, it means it's the euangelion. It's where we get our word gospel today. It, it, and, and the gospel is the greatest news the planet has ever heard. I love how Tim Keller speaks of this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dare hope. That is the gospel. And that is the message, the coming king, Jesus has come, that heaven is crashing earth. You don't have to wait for heaven someday, some way later. Heaven is here because Jesus is here. And he's proclaiming this message of the kingdom. And it's affirmed by what he's doing. He's healing. He's healing every disease and sickness. So you can just imagine, he's bringing an amazing message, and and he's doing an amazing work. 
right? He's got, a, he's, got a, he's got a great message, and then he's got miracles that are on the side that are like, so people are beginning to follow him, and large crowds are following him everywhere he goes. In fact, as he's traveling from town to town, uh, people just started to up and just leave what they're doing and follow him to the next town, and so he had these massive crowds that began to follow him because he taught as one with authority, and he began to speak in such a way that people were like, wow, I've never heard this before. And at the same time, it was confirmed by the, by the deeds that he's doing. He's bringing uh, sick girls to life and bringing healing and touching lepers. And you don't touch lepers and healing them. And then Jesus has this observation as he sees this mass of crowd that is following him. And we get a glimpse into God's heart. We get a glimpse in this moment when the public ministry of Jesus is going at its best. You know, we're going to celebrate, you know, Easter, which is the the pinnacle of our, um, of what we believe as followers of Jesus. If the resurrection did not happen, then what we're doing is silly. But But Friday was the lowest of lows for Jesus. Here is the highest of highs. And you get a glimpse into his heart, even at the pinnacle of his ministry, earthly. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is at, you know, he is the man right now. Right? I mean, he, he's got the greatest teaching. He's got you know, he's performing works. And, and when he sees the crowd, he doesn't think, man, I'm really doing an awesome job right now. You know, I, that would be my tendency, maybe our tendency. We're like, man, we're really doing good. Look at all these people that are following me. Look at how many Twitter followers I have. And they respond back on these sort of things. And look how many Facebook. Jesus had the maximum amount of Facebook friends at this point, right? And, and they're going like, and when he saw them. And I love that he saw them. That he took the moment not to look above the crowd, but look in the crowd. And what he saw broke his heart. The word harassed. The word harassed literally means to be beaten down. To be pushed down and held down. Helpless literally means to be unable to rescue oneself. When he looked at the crowds that were following him, his heart broke because he saw a people that were harassed, that were beaten down, that were pushed down, that that were buffeted on every side. He saw them, they were unable to rescue themselves. He makes this comment, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to save them. And it broke his heart. That word, compassion, remember, he saw, that was the picture, and he had compassion. We talked about this word a couple of weeks ago. It was in the parable of the wicked servant. It's the word splagizomai. Splagizomai is used in the New Testament uh, only uh, in the Gospels. It's used 12 times. Uh, and it's used of Jesus uh, almost solely, except Jesus uses it in three parables. 
It is the strongest word in the Greek uh, for compassion or pity. There is no more uh, uh, intense word that the writers could use, that Jesus could use, that when he looked at them, he had splagizomine. It literally means a hurting of the bowels. It's used uh, in the story, we used it with the uh, wicked servant where the master has the servant come before him and he cries out, please, please forgive my debt. And remember, I think it was something like $3.42 billion worth of debt in our currency today. And, and it says the master had splagizomai, had pity, had compassion, and canceled. It's used of the father in the prodigal son when the son took and wasted all of the father's possessions of his inheritance and he comes back and the father sees the son from afar and he sees him coming and it says the father had splagizomai. He took pity. He had compassion and he did what no father would do. He disrespected himself by pulling up his own robe and running. It was the most disrespectful, dishonoring thing a father could do, but he was filled with compassion. He had to run to his son. And in this moment, in this moment, Jesus is looking out over the crowds that are following him. He sees they're harassed and they're helpless. And he has splagizomai. It is a compassion that has a deep feeling that produces action. Every time this word is used, it is always followed by action. See, true compassion, according to Jesus, is not feeling bad. It is seeing, it is feeling, and then it is doing. In fact, do that just with me. I know you want to write that down. You can see, feel, do. You can go ahead and write that down. But would you just do this? Because this is what true compassion looks like. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that when we look and see the same scene, that we have the same heart. Would you just take your hands with me for a second and would you just take them and just put them over your eyes? And just go, Ian, you don't need to cover them up, but just see. See, Jesus saw the pain and the hurt. He saw the need. And then go ahead and just move it down to your heart because this is the process of compassion. And then he felt What he saw moved down to his heart and he felt their pain and he hurt. It broke his heart. He hurt because they were hurting. But it didn't stay right here. It never does with Jesus. Now you just take your hands and just put them out. See, true compassion is compelled and moved to action. Your hands. I can't do everything, but I can do something. See, you see the need, you feel the pain, and then you do the next right thing you know to do. 
That's what it looks like to live with compassion. That's what Jesus did. He saw the pain, and so oftentimes we're so busy in our lives, and we're so caught up in what we're doing that we fail to see the people around us. And how many times have I walked into a Starbucks or a Pete's and saw just my coffee and not the person handing my coffee? And how many times have I heard of a story that I, and this is maybe more of a guy thing, that I, that I just went, and I just didn't want to feel. There's something about it because it hurts. Jesus says true compassion is simply this. Where we see the pain, see the need, feel the pain, and then we respond Spogizomai always responds in action. And so look at Jesus' response then, out of, as of that. The scene we, he's painted here for us, these crowds, he sees, he hurts for them. And he says, verse 37, then he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. See, did you notice Jesus' perspective? I love this. See, when Jesus looks out on San Jose, you know what he sees? He sees, yeah, really upwardly mobile people. He sees really bright, high-capacity people. He sees entrepreneurs, and he sees all the young tech guys, and he sees all the people in between and doing this. And yet at the same time, he sees deeply hurting, lonely, broken, longing for hope people. He says, you have all your, you can outwardly have all your act together, but it only covers up the deep hurt inside. Now, our tendency, my tendency, sorry, I won't put you in my camp. My tendency, my tendency is to kind of think in this world that we live in, and specifically our city that is so generally affluent and high capacity and all these people, and you've got captains of empires, and you have all the big companies, is to think the problem's out there. Well, people just aren't that open. People are too busy. They don't really care. It's interesting, Jesus' assessment. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The problem's not out there with the people. In fact, they long and are desperately needing to hear the good news that the God of the universe loves them and that Jesus came for, to rescue them. They long to hear that. He says, the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The harvest is plentiful, but, but, the workers are few. The problem is in here. There's something about the way we understand life, the way I understand life, that I can see and walk on and keep on doing. See, compassion. Compassion moves us from comfort to living out our calling. 
to care about what God cares about. When we ask that question, what does God really care about? He looks out and he sees San Jose, he sees the 2.5 million people in this area and his heart breaks and he says, I long for them to experience a relationship with me. I want them. That's what he cares about. And then we got to wrestle, do we really care about it? If we're going to be a people who follow Jesus, if we're going to truly have compassion, it moves us past our comfort. It moves us past the zone of like, it's just about me and I'm going to get my stuff to living out our calling. Let me just explain this because we've, we, we've wrestled with this and I think we're, we've got a misunderstanding of calling. Let me give you a calling in uh, a one sentence definition for you. Calling, our calling in life is to live for what God cares about. It's that, it's that simple. Your calling, my calling, is simply to live out this life around what God cares about. You will not regret a life lived when you order your life around the things that he cares about. And you know what he cares about? He cares about people. He loves people. He longs for everyone. He says this, I desire that everyone come to know me. That's what he cares about. So let me ask you this. What, what keeps us? What keeps us from caring? I, I identified a few things for me. Why, why is it where we're at, if the harvest really is ripe, if the problem isn't out there, but the problem's here, what is it that's keeping us from going, okay, God, let's go. I want to care about what you care about. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to live out my calling. I want to move past my comfort. What is it that keeps us from really stepping into that? And I've identified, I think, five things that, that at least I've bought into and maybe you've bought into that, that keep me from stepping into it. The first thing is simply this. I think we buy into, in our culture, the tolerance myth. The tolerance myth, where we, where we believe that your faith, our faith, is a private thing. That, that you know what, we just got to kind of tolerate one another, and we use this word a lot today, tolerance, and somehow tolerance has become synonymous for agreeing that, that's not tolerance, by the way. Tolerance is, is tolerating someone you disagree with, right? That's what it is. Uh, and here's the interesting part about it. When you think about, we've esteemed in our culture that tolerance is like, you know, oh, tolerance. That is awesome. Well, think about it. You have a, you have a friend. He says, oh, is that your friend? Yeah, I tolerate him. <laughs> I... Uh, yeah. See, we're not called to tolerate. We're called to love. See, your faith, your faith is a deeply personal thing. It was never intended to be private. Earlier in Matthew, Matthew 5, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he talks about no one lights a lamp. No one would light a lamp to hide it under a bushel. Oh no. Sorry, I went back to Sunday school. 
It doesn't make sense. And he says, you, this is you. This is who you are fundamentally when you're a follower of Jesus. You are a light. You bring light. You are meant and designed. Yes, you are meant and designed to have an impact and influence and bring love and the light of Jesus to everyone around you. And yet we buy into this tolerance myth. Second thing I think we buy into in our culture that keeps us from really caring about what God cares about is the secret agent myth. This is uh, the secret agent myth says this my life is my message. My life is my message. And I, you kind of undercover and you're like, okay, I'm in the workplace. And this is, I think, especially in the workplace. And you're at the workplace and you're, because we have all these rules and I don't want to overstep my bounds and I don't know what's right and I don't want to mix all these sort of things. And so I'm going to let my life be my message. And I hope someone asks me somehow about, but you never bring up God or you never talk about Jesus. And, you know, maybe some of you are like, well, I'm just going to put my Bible on my desk and I'll just keep it right there on my desk, and then maybe they'll ask me about it, and they're like, huh, he's got a Bible on his desk. I probably shouldn't ask him anything. <laughs> but, but we've bought into this, and, and there's this famous quote by a guy, an uh, old saint called St. Francis of Assisi, where he says, preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. And so some of us have kind of bought into the reality of like, preach the gospel, okay, all the time. My life is my message. It is necessary to use words. In fact, uh, Romans 10 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, listen. If your life looks nothing like Jesus, please don't talk about Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not saying we're not perfect by any means, but I think there's some of you that you're going to go, I live like hell every single week, but then I'm just going to go, Jesus, and like, wait a second. That our message and our lives do need to line up. Third one, superstar myth. This is an easy one. This is an easy one for us to buy into. It's not my gift. It's not my gift. I'm not a guy that talks up front. I'm not an evangelist. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a salesman. You know, in the work environment, you see the salesman, and they talk to anyone and everyone all the time, and they have these conversations. Like, is, that's probably what it looks like to be an evangelist. I, that's not me. And I just got to be honest. When I, I try to share as honestly in this area because I can do okay when I've spent time preparing. But I got to tell you, man, my conversations with people are so simplistic it's like, I mean, quite literally, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? I mean, that's like my opening line, okay? That's not great, but I, it works because God's in the middle of it. It's not because it's the perfect words. And I get to you, oh, it's not my gift. Here's what's amazing. God wants to use your unique personality, your unique placement, for his glory and purpose. 
Just think about that. He's designed you specifically in such a way that's just uniquely to you. You're just the way you're supposed to be. And by the way, you're in the right place. And some of you are wrestling with that right now. You're like, oh, my, my job or, you know, where we live, our neighborhood. And you're in the right place. And he wants to use that. And he'll bring about his purpose when you go, God, I'm in. God, I'm in. I'll, let me be used by you. Show me what to do and I'll do it. The superstar myth. The fourth one, the expert myth. And this one's a fair one. I don't know enough. The expert myth says, I don't know enough. What if they ask a question that I don't know? And you simply say, I don't know. Can I get back to you on that? None of us knows enough. But no parent knew enough to be a parent. I just was having a conversation with a buddy and, you know, they're getting ready to start a family and wrestling with all that. And he's like, yeah, I just don't know if I'm ready. And I said, yeah, you're not. <laughs> but you never will be and that's okay. The, the beautiful reality of much of life, and I'm going to have a Cal Poly slogan right here for all you Mustangs, is learn by doing you just get in the middle of it. You know how you learn? Is you, you get in the middle. Someone asks you a question. That's a great question. Man, I'm going to go figure that out. Can we talk later? Don't let the expert myth of I don't know enough. Of course you don't know enough. Neither do I. But you could spend your whole life studying and know a whole lot and feel like you never quite knew enough and you die with a whole lot of information. The expert myth. And finally, the apathy myth. This is where we're at in our text. People just aren't open. You know, people just aren't open. We buy into this all the time with people around us. Ah, you know what? They don't really care. They don't really get it. They, they're too busy. Jesus said the harvest out there, man, people long to hear See, compassion moves us from comfort to living out our calling when we care and we respond to the things that God cares about. It was uh, Christmas Eve um, two years ago, and we're celebrating our first Christmas Eve Eve as a church. And our first Christmas Eve Eve, because we didn't want to set up the next day, um, that's the reason we did it on Sunday instead of Monday, I talked to you, and I said, hey, let's invite five people to Christmas Eve, and, and as your pastor, I'm like, I'm doing this too, we're all in it together, and I, I was thinking and praying through our neighbors, and I, and I would just be honest, I, I get scared doing that, I get intimidated, I get nervous, I go, I don't know, I'm afraid of rejection, all those things, and, and and so as I'm inviting, and I like waited for one particular neighbor to the last hour, and it's Christmas Eve Eve, and it's pouring. It's like monsoon weather. It's probably our last hard rain for the last two years. I mean, it just was dumping. 
And as it's dumping, I went and invited one neighbor, and he, you know, I got rejected, and so I'm kind of feeling dejected, and, and so I'm walking over, and I knew I was supposed to go, I just felt like I'm supposed to invite Todd, my neighbor, but anytime I've had a conversation with him about God, he's just shut it down. I mean, I would try to get creative in our conversations, and I love business principles. I love leadership, management, all that kind of stuff. I read those books, and so we'd have these conversations, and I would somehow try to slip in, like, this, like, kind of business principle that's from Proverbs, you know, and I'm like, you know what, you know, God, it just didn't work, okay? It just didn't work at all. And so it's pouring down the rain, and I'm going to my door, and I just decided, I I'm just not going to invite him. I just don't want to be rejected. He, he just doesn't care. I mean, every time we've talked about God, he just shuts it down and walks away. And, and so then I literally kind of was about to open the door on our house, and I just had this thought. So Ingram, do you care more about your comfort than him coming to know me. I, I, that kind of hurts, God. I don't like that. That's not nice. <laughs> and that's kind of unfair, isn't it? I sat there wrestling, and you know, you know when you're about to do something that you know takes a little bit of courage, you get that kind of nervous fire inside. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna go next door, and I'll go next door. Knock on the door, he opens it. He and his girlfriend are like sitting watching a movie. I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> but I, I'm going to church. Um, and we sat and we talked for about a half an hour. And I said, hey man, um, I'd love to invite you guys to come to our Christmas Eve Eve service. And he's like, yeah, I mean, we'll see about it. We're pretty comfortable now. I said, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> that night, we had a 7 o'clock service, and he and his girlfriend showed up to it. He later tells me in a conversation that he's never willingly stopped inside a church before. His experiences with Christians and with the church has been negative, negative and condemning. And... He uh, is an atheist uh, and, and has very strong opinions towards the church. And he sat through our Christmas Eve Eve service and he said, Ryan, that's the first time I ever stepped inside a church and I felt loved. It's the first time I was like, man, what you guys are doing, that's important. Later, a few months later, we're doing a series called Stereo, Good News for a Listening World, and he was sharing some of his entrepreneur, uh, he's, he was actually named uh, one of Fortune's 40s, under 40 entrepreneurs of the year, and he was na- teaching this course up at Stanford, and uh, as he was explaining, I said, this is amazing. Would you mind coming to my church and teaching that with me? And he did. <laughs> he came and we talked, and he shared his principles of entrepreneurship, and I applied them to the scripture and what it looks like for us as a church. I got to tell you, it's been two years. Todd still doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and it breaks my heart. 
but he's gotten to hear the good news of Jesus multiple times. He's actually moving in a month. And I'd ask for you to pray for him. That this Easter, that he would come here. And he would come to know Jesus. That God would open up conversations in our front yard. And that he would receive Jesus as Savior. I wonder... I wonder what would have happened had I simply walked in my door. He wouldn't have known. Life would have kept going on as usual. Compassion. Compassion invites us to step beyond our comfort and to live out our calling, to align our lives around the things that God cares about. And you know what he cares about. He looks at our city and he looks at your coworkers and neighbors and friends and his heart breaks. He loves them. He loves them so much that he would come and he would die for them, that he would allow his creation to brutalize and beat and pierce him. In the passage, Jesus shares this with the disciples. The workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Pray then and ask the Lord the harvest to send out workers. Chapter 10, you know what Jesus does? He gathers the 12 together. And he says, I've given you authority, now go. See, true compassion sees the need, feels the pain, and then does the next right thing. So our application this morning, like I said, this is a little different of a Sunday morning. Our application this morning is ascending out for us as a community. That we would align our hearts and our lives around the things that God cares about. And so I just want to give you three real clear application as we gear up for Easter next weekend. And the first is this. Would you pray and fast this week on Wednesday? The way I do it, I'll just explain. I, I, I start on, I do it from dinner to dinner. So I start on a Tuesday night dinner and then fast and break the fast on Wednesday night dinner. If you're physically able, would you do that with us? Would you do, say, and what fasting is, is the humbling of our soul before God saying, we need you more than we need food. We long for you to move more than I long to eat. That's all fasting is. And would you fast and pray, and I have a few things in your notes, would you pray for your friends, coworkers, neighbors, family who do not know Jesus? Would you pray for our Easter services? Next week we launch two services. We don't have a clue how it's going to go. <laughs> would you pray for that? 
Would you pray that many people come to know Jesus this Easter? Not just here, at every church in this area. Man, we pray for his kingdom come. That we pray for the churches that God would work powerfully in this city. Second thing, would you prayer walk your neighborhood? And uh, on your way out, you're going to get handed one of these. And we printed up these. All this is is a door hanger, an invitation. And, and last year, it was so fun. Me and my kids, and we didn't have door hangers. We just had little postcards. But me and my kids just walked my neighborhood. And we just walked, and we just began to pass out uh, um, invitations. And, and it was so fun to get to do it as a family. And we just prayed. Or at least I did. I know, I'm not sure about my kids that run. I just began to pray for my neighbors. I, I do a run quite often, and you've heard the story of my, my neighbor Rich, but the whole reason I stopped to talk to him was I just realized on my runs, I might as well just start praying for my neighbor because I just zigzag all the way through my neighborhoods. And so as I just see people on my run, I just start praying for them. Would you prayer walk this week, neighborhood? We're going to hand you a bunch of these, by the way, um, and pass those out. We printed up 10,000, so take a bunch. And then finally, number three, and you'll even see in your notes, there's three specific cards. Would you invite three, three people to our Easter service? See, it's time for us as a church to say, you know what? We not, we're not gathering so that we can stay comfortable in a nice theater. We're gathering. We're gathering so this city might awaken to new life in Jesus. And that begins not because people out there don't want to hear. That begins with us when we share and love this city. And isn't it time Isn't it time that we begin to live for what matters most? Let's pray. God, I pray for our church. God, I ask that you would allow us to awaken this generation and this city to the wonders of your reality. God, I pray as we walk out this week that you would unleash the gifts and the passions of this community to revolutionize this world. That we would experience deep and authentic life change. That we would engage the needs of today and extend your love to the hurting and to the broken. God, may we radically trust you with our lives, with our time, with our money. God, would you allow us to care more about what you care about than our own comfort? God, would you give us the courage to love the unlovely, to be your very hands and feet? God, would you help us to see as you see? to feel as you feel, do as you would do. Will you make us comfortably uncomfortable that we might live out our calling and see this city changed by your grace? In Jesus' name, amen.